0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So last week we began a, a series looking through the life of John the Baptist. And I was, I was talking to April after uh, the message. I always like to get her opinion and, you know because she is brutally honest. And so, you know, I can ask her, say, what did you think of the message? And she's like, oh, I really enjoyed it. It was a great truth. And so I asked her last Sunday, I was like, what did you think of the message? She said, well, what do you mean, well? She's like, well, you know, I just don't see why John is so important. And I had to explain to her that without John, we don't have Jesus because John was the prophesied forerunner. So until the forerunner comes, the Messiah couldn't come. So. John, biblically speaking, prophetically speaking, is a pretty important figure. As a matter of fact, John, is, he is one of the most mentioned figures, uh, characters in the Bible, but he's one of the least talked about. His name is mentioned in 23 chapters of the Bible spanning a period of 750 years. John was prophesied 400 years before the birth of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. He's the one that God said he would send to prepare the world to receive the message of the Messiah. To prepare hearts to receive Jesus as their Savior. To pave the way for Jesus to come to earth and do the work that he did and die on the cross and rise again to save mankind. John was prophesied he would come To prepare the way for that, for Jesus to do that. While the prophecy of John was given in Isaiah, the story of John is actually related to the first Christmas story. Now, when most people think about the Christmas story, they, they think about a, a birth of a prophesied child to unlikely parents. Of course, the prophesied Messiah to the Virgin Mary, so that's, that's typically what they think about. And they're correct, it is the story of a prophesied child to unlikely parents, but it's not necessarily beginning with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Look how Mark begins the gospel of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse, four, uh, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets: Behold, I will send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. So Mark says the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins with John. It begins with the forerunner. It begins with the one that God said would come and be the voice in the wilderness and make the path straight so people would understand that Jesus was the Messiah and that they could prepare the work for Jesus to come and do his, his ministry on earth. So the story of Christmas and the story of Jesus begin with the story of John the Baptist. John was the forerunner. He was the one who was, who was sent by God to prepare for the, the um, way of the Messiah. And John's story <coughs> begins in John in Luke chapter number 1. But the story of John doesn't actually begin with John. It begins with his father, Zechariah. So look in your Bibles in Luke chapter number 1, starting verse number 5. There was, there was, was in the day of Herod, the king of Judea, a chief, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abba, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name John and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he had tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his menstruation were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days whereupon he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So this story here about Zacharias meeting Gabriel in the temple and going to Elizabeth when she's well stricken in age, which is a very polite way of saying old. Uh, So she's an old woman and she goes and conceives. This whole story is the beginning of the Christmas story. Before an angel came to Mary, the angel came to Zechariah to tell him that, hey, you're going to have a son first because your son will be used to prepare the way for the Messiah to come to mankind. Now, Zechariah was was given an incredible privilege. And for his entire adulthood, his entire marriage, he had prayed for this privilege. Now, the Bible tells us here that Zechariah was a priest, after the order of Abiah. now twice a year, the sons of Abiah would work in the temple for seven days straight. There were many, of course, different uh, uh, tribes had different priests, and they took turns serving in the temple. And so, every every couple month, every about six months, every tribe would have an opportunity to send their priests. To serve in the temple. And so it was an incredible privilege for them to serve in the temple. So for seven days, these priests would go, and they did more than just the sacrifices and the altars. I mean, they did, they did just regular labor. They would clean up after stuff, they would tend to, to people, they would just do regular, menial kind of jobs. But it was an honor and a privilege to work in the temple. And they were in charge of the morning and evening sacrifices. And so what they would do is they... So these people, these priests who came to serve, they would be given the opportunity to change out the table of showbread, to light the altar of incense, to take away the coals, to do some some ministry work in the temple. But the, the greatest privilege that they could have, because they couldn't go to the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could do that once a year... The greatest privilege any priest could have was to light the altar of incense. They would take the flame, they would take the the great uh, censer there, and they would light the flame, and the smoke would rise up. And that was a, a symbol of the prayers of God's people rising up to heaven, and it was a sweet savor to God. And so after they would light the incense and the flames would go up, they would pray to God for the nation of Israel. It was a tremendous honor to do this because the altar of incense stood just about two or three feet away from the veil that that separated the holy place from the most holy place. So it was as close as you could get to the presence of God without being the high priest. It was as close as you could get to being in God's presence and feeling God's presence without walking into the Holy of Holies and, if you're not the high priest on the Day of Atonement, being struck dead. And so every, every tribe or every, every uh, group had, a, had 14 opportunities to serve in the temple. Now, the, the altar of incense in the holy place was so holy and was so sacred and was so revered that no priest got to go in there more than once. And so what they would do in the morning and the evening, they would, they would cast lots. They would kind of have a lottery. And whoever won the lottery would be able to go in and perform the sacrifices and perform the altar of incense and change out the showbread. And so they would kind of cast lots or draw names. We're not exactly sure how they did it but they would, they would have a system to pick someone to go into the holy place and and serve in the temple in that way so they could light the incense or they could change the showbread. But it was so sacred and so holy you could only do it one time in your life. So if you get picked to go into the holy, of, to holy place to light the incense, it was a tremendous honor, but you never got to do it again. So it was kind of a one-and-done thing. It was, it was a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous privilege, but you only got it one time. Only once in your life would you ever have the chance to enter the holy place. And when Luke 1 was written, Zechariah was about 60 years old. And in Numbers 4, uh, in Numbers chapter 4, Moses, he gives the, the, the uh, kind of pr- procedures and the policies for men who were able to go into the holy place to perform these, these rituals. And the only men who could go in there were married men who were between ages 30 and 60. So once you, if you were younger than 30, you couldn't go. If you were older than 60, you couldn't go. When we meet Zechariah in chapter number 1, Luke chapter 1, he's 60 years old. His opportunity to serve in the holy place is passing. His next birthday, he turned 61, he's ineligible. So he's been a priest for his entire adult life. Every time since he's been 30 for two times a year, he's he's gone to serve in the temple and he's he's hoped and prayed and wanted to serve in the holy place. And every time, seven, 14 times a, a, a year, he would have an opportunity to go serve. And 14 times a year, he never got picked. Year after year after year after year. And now it's it's probably his final opportunity. If he's not picked this year, he's not going to go because he's going to be too old, and he'll have to retire from the priesthood. And so he knows, this is my last chance. If I'm not picked now, then I'll, I'll never be able to go in. And so year after year, he'd watched other men win the lottery. One by one, they, they were chosen. One by one, they got to serve in this special way, and Zechariah had never won. He'd, he'd never been allowed to light the incense, He'd never been allowed to offer his prayer for Israel up to God the Father. He was never allowed to serve in this way, and his opportunity was passing. Now, Zechariah, he had only wanted one thing for himself. As a priest, the only thing he wanted to do was fulfill his purpose of honoring God by lighting the incense. By lighting the incense, he was symbolically releasing the prayers of the people to ascend to heaven through the smoke of the altar. And for years, Zechariah had not been able to fulfill his purpose as a priest. He'd not been able to enter the holy place. But to make matters worse, this wasn't his only dream. He prayed every day for God to give him a son of his own. And that never happened either. He was never able to have kids. That opportunity was gone for him. He was an old man. Elizabeth was well stricken in years. She's an old lady. She's past the age of childbearing. So they get married young. You know, probably between 15 and 20 is when they're married. And for their entire life, they're praying for children. They're trying for children. They're hoping for children. Because children were a sign of God's blessing in in their life, a sign of God's favor on their life. And so for years, they tried to have kids, never had kids. For years, he prayed to be able to serve in the temple, and he was never able to, was never chosen by God to serve in the temple. So God's not answering his prayers for his career. God's not answering his prayer for his family. And so Zachariah was living a life of quiet disappointment. Two great hopes in his life, none of them coming true. So he's got two great disappointments. Like many people in his day, like a lot of people in our day, just quietly disappointed in the life that God's given you. The things he wanted, they weren't coming. The dreams he had for his life, they were dying. But then, this day comes. He goes to serve in the the temple, he goes to serve for his His seven days as working in the temple, the morning sacrifice comes, the lot is is cast, and and Zechariah is chosen. Finally, his dream comes true. He's able to go into the holy place. He's able to light the altar of incense. He's able to send the prayers of of God's people up to heaven. He's able to offer prayer to God. He's able to get close to the presence of the Lord. And so he, he prepares himself. He goes through the ritual. He does the offering. He does everything he's supposed to do. He is chosen and he goes into the holy place to light the incense. But the best part this wasn't the best part of the day. Not only. Was he able to have his dream fulfilled of serving the temple and lighting the incense? But on this day, God answered his prayer. Instead of just lighting the candle and saying a prayer, Zechariah encounters an angel. And not just any angel, Gabriel, the archangel, the messenger of God who stands in the presence of the Lord. You know, I'm sure many times Zechariah imagined himself in the holy place, what it would be like. I mean, he, they, they kind of had an idea of what it looked like because of the writings of Moses, but to actually see the, the purple tapestry, to actually see the table of showbread, to actually see the altar of incense, to actually see these things and smell them and, and really physically be there, I'm sure he, he'd imagine many times what it would be like to go into the holy place and light the altar but I bet he never imagined he'd an angel while he's in there. But this angel was there for a purpose. This angel was there to give Zachariah an incredible announcement. So Gabriel tells Zachariah, says so Zachariah, God's heard your prayers. Now, how long has he been praying? Years. God heard your prayers, and He's going to give you a son. But not just any son. He told him that this son will be called John, and this son will be used by God in great ways. He says, John, the son that God's going to give you, this miracle son, will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would be the one prophesied in Isaiah to have the spirit of Elisha. Now, Elisha, of course, was the most powerful Old Testament prophet. So Gabriel says, hey, your, your dream came true for your career. Now God's going to give you a son, but not just any old brat. He's going to give you the child that was prophesied in the, Isaiah, and that's going to go forward with the spirit of Elisha and prepare the way for the Messiah to come to earth. Like most of us would have done, Zechariah had some doubts. And he expresses him to Gabriel. He's, he wants to know, how, how can I know that this is really happening? How do I know I'm, not, I'm just not having a stroke or something? How do I know this is real? How do I know that this is what's really going to happen? So God, Gabriel tells him, well, to prove it and to chasten you for your doubt, you won't be able to speak until the baby's born. So the story that starts The story of Jesus is a story of an old couple living with their disappointments, thinking that there was no hope, thinking that their dreams had died, and that was their life. It's a story of two people that loved God and had their dreams come true when they thought it was impossible. God answered their prayers in a time... God answered their prayers in a way that took away any credit from them. All credit for these miracles would go to God. Now, this story teaches us a lot about God and the people who worship and trust him. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were completely devoted to God. Even though they were living a life of disappointment, even though God hadn't answered their prayers when they thought their prayers should be answered, even though Zechariah had never gotten to serve God like he wanted to, even though everything they wanted to do seemed to not be happening, they were faithful and devoted and loved God. Even though God hasn't answered their prayers in their time in the way they wanted, they stayed faithful. Look what Luke says about him in verse number six. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That's an incredible testimony. For someone to say, for for God to say about you, they walked with me, they were faithful to me, they obeyed the commandments, they obeyed the ordinances. They They were good, faithful believers. Remember in this time, to be childless was a stigma. It was a sign that God wasn't blessing you. That God's favor wasn't on you. But they stayed faithful. They continued to worship God. They continued to serve God. They continued to trust God. And in his perfect timing, God showed himself strong through them. He answered their prayer in the perfect way at the perfect time. Now, every story in the Bible teaches us something about God and something about ourselves. And the story of the birth of the forerunner teaches us four lessons that should encourage us this morning. The first one is this. Number one, God has a perfect plan for you. Every one of us this morning, God has a perfect plan for you. 400 years before Gabriel comes to Zechariah, God spoke to the prophet Malachi about his plan for John. In Malachi 3.1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Look, God doesn't do anything spur of the moment. God doesn't do anything, Well, there's some, i got to take care of this, let me fix that. Everything that God does, everything that God has planned was planned long before the world was ever created. That's how incredible God is. He had a plan for you before he ever created you. Before he ever said, let there be anything, God knew you would be born and had a perfect plan in mind for you. So you, every person that has ever been born was planned for you. That means you were not an accident. You know, of course, we call Alexis our surprise baby. <clears throat> it took us five years to have Parker. A lot of, lot of prayer, a lot of crying, a lot of turmoil. Well, finally, God, after five years, God blesses us, we had Parker. And so we were ecstatic, and then he started to talk, and we were like, why did we want this kid? And uh, But no, then we were ecstatic, and we, then we, we went, went away to Bible college, and it took us six years between him and Connor. Uh, to have Connor, and we were, we were trying the whole time, and so we just figured, well, we'll keep on trying, and so six years between him and Parker, and so we, we just naturally assumed this is, this is it, this is our lot, we got two kids, they're six years apart, it took us five to have one, six to have another, so it's just, we're just not going to have that many kids, and so right, this is a two, so oh well, and then on Connor's first birthday, we found out we were expecting Alexis, so we thought, oh well, I guess we were wrong. So to us, she was a surprise. Don't want to say accident, but, you know, some people say, oh, that kid was an accident. No, to us, she was a surprise. To to your parents, you may have been a surprise, but you were no accident. God planned for you. God wanted you to. It has a perfect plan in mind for you. But more than that, every person who has ever been born, God has a plan just for them. Jeremiah 29:11, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you," saith the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end." God knew what was best for the world and best for you before either ever existed, and he has a perfect plan for you. That means that your life no matter how small you may feel it is, has significance. Your life, no matter how off track you may feel it is, has a plan that God has in place. God has a plan for you. Second thing we notice is number two, God prepares for us to fulfill his purpose. Nope. God is God, nope, go back. George is getting ahead of me and is confusing me. God has a perfect purpose for you. So not only does God have a perfect plan for you, but he has a purpose for you, and the purpose God has for you, only you can fulfill it. God made you for that specific purpose. And so he has you to fulfill, the purpose he has for you, only you can fulfill it. Before John was ever conceived... Before John's parents were ever conceived, God had this purpose in mind for John. And he told them in verse 17 of chapter 1 of Luke 1. And he shall go, here's John's purpose, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's purpose in life was to go out into the world to preach the gospel, to prepare people to receive Christ as their Savior when Jesus came. His purpose was to turn people to God. That was the purpose for his life that God had for him long before John ever came along. And the same thing goes for us. In 2 Timothy 1.9, the Bible says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before God created the world, God had a purpose for you. And it's the same purpose he had for John. The purpose of your life, the purpose of your trials, the purpose of your victories, the purpose of everything you go through is to turn people to God, to show people the love of Christ, to teach them the gospel, to show them that God came in the flesh, lived a perfect sonless life, died a substitutionary death, was buried for three days, and rose again to redeem and reconcile man to God. That's our purpose, to bring glory to God and tell others about him as we introduce him to the Savior. So God has a plan for us. God has a purpose for us. And number three, God prepares for us to fulfill His purpose. God prepares us to fulfill His purpose. Now, it wasn't a coincidence that it took Zachariah and Elizabeth so long to get pregnant. It wasn't a coincidence. It was God preparing them to fulfill the purpose. God was preparing them to raise the forerunner. God works in our lives. God, look, God works through the disappointments. God works through the frustrations. God works through the heartbreaks to prepare us to fulfill His purpose for our lives. And Romans 8.28 says it, And we know that all things work together for good, that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. Everything that happens in our lives, the victories, the defeats, the disappointments, the loneliness, the heartbreak, everything that happens, happens because God is using them to prepare you to fulfill his, your purpose for his, your, his purpose for your life. Now, that should bring us a lot of comfort. Why? Because you may be living in disappointment in some area of your life, like Zechariah did. You may have a part of your life where you just don't feel like God's answering your prayers. You may have a situation where you just don't understand and it's causing pain in your heart. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Whatever you're going through, whatever part of your life you look at and say, I don't understand what is happening, it is happening for a purpose. God is allowing it to prepare you to fulfill his purpose For your life. So everything we go through is not random. It's not God being mean or vindictive. It is God allowing things to happen to prepare us to fulfill His purpose. You may be waiting on God to answer a prayer, and it seems like He never will, but God's doing it to prepare you. Nothing that happens to the child of God is random, it is all sent to us by God. To prepare us to fulfill his purpose in our lives. That brings us to the fourth lesson John teaches us. Don't throw your phone down. Here's our fourth lesson, number four God answers prayers at the perfect time. Louis Gabriel told Zechariah when he appeared to him in verse number 13, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. How long do you think they'd been praying for, son? How long do you think that, how many nights do you think they, they cried together because one more month went by and no child? How many years do you think they begged God, maybe fasted, maybe prayed, maybe went to doctors to see what was going wrong? Year after year after year after year, they had prayed, and Gabriel says, that, Hey, Zechariah, I want you to know, God already heard your prayer, and he's going to answer your prayer in his time. We know they're old, but when Zachariah, he's around sixty, Elizabeth's around the same age, so they're well past childbearing years. And during this time, of course, when they get married, during this this time period, a wife's purpose, according to society, according to culture, a wife's purpose was to give her husband a son. That was her purpose. One reason to help him take care of the home when when he got when the child got older, but also to help take care of the wife, because when the husband died, and who was going to take care of the wife? Well, the son was supposed to take help take care of his mother in her old age. Children, again, were considered a sign of God's blessing and favor. And so not having kids meant God didn't have favor on you. It would bring ridicule. It would bring scorn from the community, especially from other women who did have kids. They would look at Elizabeth and talk behind her back. Maybe some of them were mean enough to talk about her to her face, to ridicule her, to scorn her, like Sarah and like Hannah had to do in the Old Testament, just dealing with this pain and this stigma. People whispered about her, mistreated her, maybe wondered what her secret sin was that God wouldn't give her a child. And all the while, her and her husband are praying for God to give them a son. Even after all these years, they still prayed. They probably got married in their early 20s or younger, and they'd been praying now for close to 40 or 50 years for this one thing, and nothing happened. But they didn't give up. They didn't stop. They believed that God would answer their prayer, and he did in his time. What have you been praying for that you think... God won't answer. What are you needing that you think God isn't giving you? Here's the thing God will always answer your prayers in His time and in His way. And His timing and His way is far better than anything you could ever think of. His timing is better than your timing. His way is better than your way. Even if God says no to what you think you want or what you think you need, it's because he has a better yes planned for you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of, that worketh in us. When God answers our prayers in His way, they are far beyond anything we could ever imagine for ourselves. If God would have given Zechariah and Elizabeth a baby when they first asked, they would have been used by God to raise the forerunner. They would have been used by God to help fulfill prophecy. John was born when he was born because he had to be born shortly before the Messiah. God's timing is perfect. God's answers are perfect. God hears your prayers and God answers them. Trust his answer and his timing over yours. Now look, your life may not be going the way that you want it to go. Your life may not be going the way that you had planned for it to go. And that's okay. Because that means your life is going the way that God wants it to go. The way God has planned for it to go, and His plans are far better than your plans. Through your disappointments, through your heartaches, God is working. Through your pain, God is working. Through your problems, God is working. He is working to prepare you to fulfill His purpose to answer your prayers in His time. To show himself powerful to you in his way. He is working to do things above and beyond anything we could ever imagine for ourselves. So we just have to ask ourselves do we trust his plan? Or do we want ours?